You know, if your house is anything like mine, and really it's probably not a whole lot like mine unless you've got five little ones running around uh, most of the time, but if your house is anything like mine when it comes to vacation, the day before vacation is always pretty hectic. You're making last minute plans, you're packing suitcases, you're making sure that everybody has everything that they're gonna need. You're checking the weather last minute one more time just to make sure that you're packing appropriately. You're making sure you've got your plane tickets if you're flying somewhere. You're making sure that the car is gassed up, oil's been changed, tire pressure is good if you're gonna be driving somewhere. Uh, you're making the, the, the additions to your itinerary, making sure that you've got everything just laid out the exact way that you want to have it. It interrupts your routine and it, it changes things for you, but you're happy to do that because you know that that's gonna give you the best shot at being prepared for when you have to leave. When the departure day comes, that next day when you get up in the morning, you're not scrambling frantically, at least ideally you're not scrambling frantically to get out the door because you've prepared well. You know what's coming and so you change your life the day before at least in order to prepare for that event that's, that's coming. Well, as we think about our relationship with Christ, as we think about our identity in Christ, there's a day coming for us, for you and I as, as believers, that we need to be preparing for more so uh, than any vacation that we've ever been on before. There's a day when you and I are going to depart from this world that we need to be getting ready for now uh, in a way that is going to interrupt our life, in a way that is going to change things. We're going to have to set aside some things that we would rather do. We're going to have to to leave behind some old patterns of behavior. We're gonna to have to conform ourselves to new expectations, to new patterns of behavior, so that we are ready when that day comes and we leave this place, when we leave this world, whether it be through death or through the return of Christ for his church, we need to make sure that we are ready for that day. In our text this week, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses seven through 11, Peter's gonna address that subject head on for us. He's gonna start talking about the end of all things being at hand, being near. And he's gonna give us a roadmap or some blueprints for us on how we should live our lives now in light of the fact that that day when we are gonna depart, that day when we are gonna leave this place is coming. That day when we will no longer be aliens and strangers here on this earth, but we will be at home with the Lord. Since that day is coming and it's certain and we know it's coming, the question before us that Peter answers in this passage is, how should we then live today? So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to pick up and read verses 7 through 11. Let's read together. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter's opening line here is this, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. And, and we read that and we think to ourselves, wow, this letter was written almost 2,000 years ago. And Peter was saying almost 2,000 years ago that the end of all things was imminent, that it was at hand. And we have to scratch our head a little bit and say, Peter, what, what gives? Because we're sitting here 2,000 years later and the end has not come. But this was a common theme in the New Testament. Peter's already talked about the end. 1 Peter 1.5, he said this, we are being guarded by God's power 
through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That idea of the, the end of time, the, the, the rapture, the, uh, the millennial kingdom, the return of Christ, the uh, everything that, that comes, the new heavens and new earth, us receiving our inheritance, our glorified bodies, the last time. And it's, Peter is saying, is, is on our doorstep. First Peter 1.20, speaking of Jesus, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time times for the sake of you. The incarnation of Jesus marked the beginning of the last times. The first coming of the Messiah marked the beginning of the last hour, as John would put it. He says it this way in 1 John 2, 18. John says, children, it is the last hour. And you have, as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. So John and Peter and others wrote and said that this is the end times. This is the last hour. The, the return of Christ is imminent. Believer, Christian, there is nothing that we are waiting for. No, uh, no prophecy yet unfulfilled that we are waiting for before Christ returns for his bride, the church. It could happen at any moment, at any time. And that was true for Peter and it's true for you and I as well. And so we need to leave, live ready for that return. We need to be prepared for the imminent return of Christ. Again, more so than any vacation, any departure, any trip that you've been on, you need to make sure that you are adequately ready for the return of Christ. You and I find ourselves in the last hour. Yes, it's 2,000 years later, but still, nonetheless, the imminent return of Christ is something that we need to be aware of, and it needs to change the way that we live our lives. Peter says, as a result, therefore, since it is the last hour, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. I want to start there at the end, for the sake of your prayers. It's a theme that we've already seen before in Peter, even as he was addressing husbands, saying to us as husbands, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding manner, because he goes on to say there, if we don't, that our prayers are going to be hindered. Man, we've talked about this, that if we live lives that are in, in open rebellion to God, if we are, are harboring sin, unconfessed, unrepented of sin in our lives, it's going to, to create a, a separation, a hindrance between us and, and the Lord. Not an eternal separation, not that chasm that Christ overcame at the cross, but it's going to hinder our prayer life. Our communion with the Lord, our intimacy with God the Father is going to be interrupted when we have unconfessed sin in our lives. And Peter's driving that point home here again. He's like, look, it's the last hour. And in light of that, make sure that you are living a self-controlled and sober-minded lifestyle for the sake of your prayers. Live a godly and holy lifestyle for the sake of your relationship with Jesus. To be self-controlled means to be reasonable. It means to be level-headed. It means to be humble. It means to be sensible about things. Similarly, to be sober-minded is to be free from any form of drunkenness, whether it's physical or spiritual, where your mind is overtaken, your mind is clouded, you can't think clearly about things. Peter's saying, look, there's a monumentous event that's coming at us, and that's the return of Christ. It's the last hour, and you need to be ready for that. And if you're going to be ready for that, you need to be living a life marked by self-control and sober-mindedness. And so put away irrationality. The fears and the whims like James talks about, when we have doubt that creeps in, that causes us to be tossed to and fro by the waves and winds of different doctrines out there. We need to put that away and make sure that we are clearly focused on the truth of God's word. We need to put away the sinful passions that can consume us. 
those fleshly passions that Peter's already addressed in his letter to us. When he said to us, he said, look, you need to abstain from the fleshly passions of your life, which wage war against your soul. We need to live as aliens and strangers in this world, not as those that are citizens of this world. And so to be sober-minded and self-controlled is to fight those sinful passions. And it's also to put aside that self-righteousness and that pride and that arrogance that says, you know what? I'm okay. I'm doing all right for myself. I don't need to worry about, you know, guarding the perimeters of my life and making sure that, that I'm not letting sin creep in unnoticed anywhere. See, brothers, we need to be all of us on guard against these things, not to think too highly of ourselves to be humble-minded before the Lord, dependent on the Lord, waiting for his return, expecting his return, and doing so with a level-mindedness and a clear-headed outlook. Peter fleshes this out a little bit more for us, I think, in 2 Peter, actually. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14, Peter writes there, he says this, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he's talking about the world around us, Everything that that we see is going to be dissolved. It's going to be dissolved by fire, he goes on to say, in the, the, the last days. He says, since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. See there, Peter clarifies for us, as we're waiting, this is the last time. The last hour is upon us. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. And then in 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14, we unpack what that means for us. It means we need to be living lives of holiness and godliness. We need to be waiting for, he says, and even hastening the coming day of the Lord. We talked about that uh, a while back in, in one of the sermons that I preached in the main service about our, our role in hastening the coming day of the Lord. It means we need to be witnessing to the lost, getting every last person that we can on the bus before Christ comes back. And then he goes on to say that we need to be found without spot, without blemish, and we need to be found as those that are peaceable, at peace. Again, men living in this last hour, facing the imminent return of Christ, facing the the difficulties and the trials that come along with being a follower of Jesus Christ, with living in a broken and fallen world, should cause us to live ready, for his return. And that's going to impact the way that we conduct ourselves, the habits that we form, the habits that we need to get rid of, the things that we need to put in place. Our first point together this week is this, prepare for Christ's return by staying focused. Prepare for Christ's return, that imminent return that he could come back at any moment by staying focused, staying focused on what matters, staying focused on the things that he has called us to, Staying focused on holiness and godliness, to to live without spot or blemish, to live at peace, to be aliens and strangers in this world, to put off the sinful passions which are at war with our flesh like he's already talked about. This is what we as believers must do in light of the fact that Christ could come back at any moment. As Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. It's at the doorstep. We, never, we don't know when his return is going to be. We don't know when he's going to come back for his bride. And so we must always be ready. 
you know, right now with everything going on, this pandemic, my kids are at home and, and my two oldest are homeschooling now. They're uh, distance learning, I think is the, the term that's been applied to it. And so what that means is that they have to log on every single day to their Google Classroom and they get their assignments from their teacher and they even have a Zoom meeting from their teacher. And in order to, to help my oldest stay focused, like we're talking about now, he's been coming to work with dad. He's been coming upstairs to, to my office that we've set up at home where I've been doing a lot of my work from as, as I can throughout the week. And, and he's been working on his schoolwork alongside me there up with, with me. And the reason is, is to help him stay disciplined and focused because the temptation that he faces is he gets distracted so easily, as we all do. But it's interesting, even watching him on Zoom with his teacher while they're having a Zoom meeting, his temptation is to, to look around. His temptation is to, to look outside. His temptation is to play with his hat. His temptation is to, to play with his hands. And I keep having to look at him and, and tell him, hey, stay focused. Pay attention to what's going on on the screen in front of you. Well, likewise, man, we can become distracted by things that this world throws at us. As we await the return of Christ, we can grow weary of waiting. We can become discouraged at waiting. We can grow tired. We can grow frustrated at what we are facing. But Peter wants us to be disciplined, self-controlled, sober-minded. If you think about it in football, it's the fourth quarter. And we have the ball and every single one of us has a part to play in finishing the game. If you think about the offensive line and you think about the quarterback behind the offensive line and think about if the, the center just decided, you know what, I've got eight or nine other guys on this line with me. I, I, I'm good. I, I don't need to snap the ball. Somebody else will take care of it for me. Or if you had a, a guard that was next to the center that was thinking to himself, you know, I, I think I'm just going to take this play off. I don't need to be focused on the game plan on this play. There's, there's a bunch of other guys. Somebody will take care of the quarterback. I don't need to be worried about blocking this guy. Or the wide receiver who's supposed to get the ball on the play. If he's out on, on the, the, the outside and he's thinking to himself, man, I, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of tired. I'm tired of playing this game. I'm tired of being here. And Oh, who's that up in the stands? Oh, is that, is that my friend? Is that my buddy? Oh, I need to call that guy. And all of a sudden he's distracted. The ball's hiked and he stands still and the quarterback throws an interception because he's not doing what he needs to be doing. Man, you and I need to stay focused on the game plan that God has laid out for us as we await the return of Christ. We need to battle the distractions that come up, can come up. What are those distractions? A few of them just to, to think about. Well, number one, as we've talked about last week and even this week, suffering can be a distraction for us. We can grow distracted and we can want to, to escape suffering by doling the pain through whatever means that that might be, whether it's through a, a sinful uh, pursuit or through distracting ourselves just through sitting and, and binge-watching TV without engaging our mind or, or thoughtfulness. Or suffering can cause a distraction that can lead us to become angry with God. We become frustrated with Him and we become those that shake our fist in the face of God instead of trusting in His plan. Suffering can cause us also, like we talked about last week, to look to short-circuit God's plans for that suffering in our life. We can want to escape it. We can want to get rid of it instead of sitting here and praying and asking the Lord, okay, Lord, what do you want to do through this in my life right now? We have to stay focused in the face of suffering. Another distraction that can pop up in our lives is success. You think to yourself, well, that sounds like a strange distraction, but success can be an enormous distraction. It can lead us to a spirit of, of pridefulness where we think to ourselves, you know what? I'm good. I don't think I, I really need that time in the Word this week. Things are going well for me. Ah, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm too busy. I, I really have to work on this project at work because it's, it's going to make this much money and it's going to make my year for me or I'm going to get this bonus as a result. So I'm going to work overtime. I'm going to neglect my walk with Christ. I'm going to 
going to neglect my, my family and my responsibilities to them, my responsibilities to the church in order to, to pursue this success over here. See, success can distract us from staying focused. Boredom can distract us from staying focused. Instead of using the extra time that God has given us right now during this pandemic, we can sit here and we can think to ourselves, well, what else can I fill my time with? I don't have sports. I can't watch that three-hour baseball game like I was wanting to. So uh, let me watch a movie instead. Let me watch this TV show instead. And guys, it's, it's as though the, the Holy Spirit, it's as though God has a megaphone through this pandemic and that he's saying to us, look, all of you have been complaining about how busy you are as a culture for so long. Here's the time that you wanted. What are you going to do with it? And that's something that that we need to be aware of. Boredom, extra time on our hands, can serve as a distraction in our lives. Pride, like I've already mentioned, discouragement, self-righteousness, all of these things can pop up and cause us to lose our focus on what God wants us to be focused on. They can cause us to drift from being self-controlled and sober-minded. We can allow sin to creep in when we become distracted from what God wants us to do. We need to stay laser focused on the task at hand because the return of Christ could happen at any moment. And we want to be ready for that. And then that's going to be something that we need one another for. That's going to be something that we need our brothers to come alongside us and to encourage us and to exhort us to be ready for the return of Christ. I had a brother do this for me this week even. He reached out to me and he said, hey, he called me on something. Called me on something that was honestly a blind spot in my my life. And he said, hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is the way that you come across here. I needed that man. And I was grateful for that. And he didn't do that to spite me. He didn't do that to wound me. He didn't do that without prayerfulness. In fact, I know the man and I know he prayed a lot before coming to me. And he did it in a spirit of graciousness and humility. And he came to me and he said, "I, I care about you. I love you. And so I want this I want to point this out in your life, and I'm so thankful that he did. Man, we need to be doing that. We need to be helping one another stay focused on the return of Christ so that we can stay sober-minded and self-controlled in these things. That idea of needing one another is actually where Peter goes next in this text. Look at verses 8 and 9. Peter says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. God saved us and he saved us to be part of a body of believers, part of a community. We talked about it earlier in this letter, 1 Peter 1.22. Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It's the same command as in our text this week. Peter's saying we need to love one another. We need to love one another earnestly. That needs to overflow from our relationship with the Lord. We talked about it in that message that we preached on 1 Peter 1.22, that God wants us to love him and that our love for him should overflow into a love for one another. Peter's saying we need one another as we prepare for the return of Christ. We need to be caring for one another. We need to be sharpening one another. 1 Peter 2.17, he says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood, love believers, love the, the church, love one another. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, love for one another as the, the body of Christ. See, we need this community as we wait for the return of Christ. And that's what Peter's saying here. He says, above all, above everything else, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. You remember the triad, faith, hope, and love. The greatest amongst these is what? Love, right? 
And so believers, brothers, Christians, as we seek to to grow in our our godliness, as we seek to remain self-controlled and sober-minded, we must be about loving one another. You say, what exactly does this have to do with the end being at hand? Look at what's going on right now. This quarantine, this pandemic. How many of you have benefited from a brother reaching out to you to encourage you? How many of you have benefited from a brother reaching out to you to, to supply a need? How many of you have taken courage when you know that there are brothers that are lifting you up in prayer right now? See, as the, the, the church faces increased persecution, which it, it will, because this world is not on an upslope. This world is on a rapid downslope until the return of Christ. And so as this world gets worse and worse and worse, the persecution against the church is going to grow hotter and hotter and hotter. That's why Jesus was talking about in John 17, look, the world hates them because they're not of the world. And so as, as such, we need to be prepared for things to get harder and harder and harder for you and I as followers of Christ. We're in a, a, a season of, of trial right now. I wouldn't necessarily call it persecution, though I think the enemy is at work right now through this pandemic. But, but we need one another right now. Imagine how much more we're going to need each other if the heat gets ratcheted up even more. See, the end of all things is at hand, and Peter knows because of what Jesus said that things are going to get worse as the time grows closer to his return. And so Peter's saying, we're going to need one another. We're going to need to, above all, love one another earnestly with a brotherly love. We're going to need to show hospitality to one another. We're going to need to be willing to meet the needs of our brothers in Christ, even at a a great cost to ourselves. And we're going to need to to have that, that, that community sense that Peter's driving at here. See, God in his foresight, when he laid out his plan for salvation in eternity past, made the church a part of that, made a community of believers a part of that, because he knew that there was going to come times in our lives where we needed one another. I'm so thankful that God did not save us to be just individuals floating around trying to do this Christianity thing on ourselves. I'm so thankful that Christianity is not a solo sport, but a team sport. I'm so thankful that I have brothers like you who care about me enough to reach out to me and even to have a difficult conversation with me so that I might be godlier as a result of that. I'm so thankful for that, man, and you should be thankful for that too. Our second point together this this week is this, cultivate that generous community. Cultivate a generous community. Generosity, not not just materially, but with your love. Love one another earnestly. Overflow in love for one another. Care for one another's needs. We need to be picking up the phone and we need to call our brothers in Christ and say, how can I pray for you? We need to call our brothers in Christ and say, what what needs do you have? How can I meet a need? And not just during a pandemic, man. Let's not lose this element of, of what God has done in our church after everything's done and we're back meeting together. Let's not lose our care and concern for one another. Let's not lose that, that desire to say, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your job? Are you healthy? Do you have needs that I can meet? Do you need toilet paper? Hopefully by then we won't. But, but let's, let's not let go of the good that God has done through us right now. Let's not leave that behind. There's so much about this pandemic that I'm ready to be done with, quite honestly. But this element, how I've seen God work in our church and draw us together as a community of believers, man, I don't want to leave that behind. I want that to carry forward with us. Because again, there may come a day when things get even harder, when we need each other on an even deeper, greater level. When all of a sudden fines start being levied against families for having a Bible. When all of a sudden fathers, husbands start being pulled away from their families and imprisoned because they were found to be sharing the gospel with somebody at work. 
when all of a sudden the pressure to apostatize and to leave the faith is ratcheted up in our culture because the, the cost of being a Christian becomes even greater. When all of a sudden the temptations that we face as, as Christians to fall into sin get amplified and magnified because this world falls more and more and more into a state of just open depravity and rebellion against God, man, those are times that we're going to need the community of the church to be there for us. Persecution, it, it drives us inward toward one another. It's a, a force that the world exerts on the church to break up the church, but it has the opposite effect. The way that God has designed us is we lean into one another. We draw in together towards one another and we become stronger as a result. Peter says as a result of that even, love is going to be necessary because love covers a multitude of sins. Brothers, there, there are going to be times in our lives, there are going to be times where we sin against one another. And there are going to be certainly those, those occasions where as believers we need to call one another on their sin for the sake of their godliness. And there's going to be other times where we can exercise a, a love towards a, a brother and not necessarily call out every single flaw, every single thing, because we know it wasn't done with, with malice or, or malcontent. And, and we can say, hey, you know what, I, I'm going to love him and that love is going to cover over that sin, right? Proverbs 10:12 says, hatred stirs, stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. In other words, we're not going to hold on to that grudge. We're not going to hold on to that thing that that brother did against us. We're not going to hold that over his head. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5 says, Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. This is the kind of love that we need to exercise towards one another during this time. Love keeps no record of wrongs, right? We're not going to keep a, a running tab against our brother in Christ and say, well, you know what, I, I would be happy to help you out, but this is all, these are all the things that you did against me. No, these, these are going to be times in our lives where we're going to need to just love and drop everything that we're doing to love a brother in Christ because that's what's the right thing to do. Because we need to do that because of what we've had done for us, because of the love we've received from Christ. We love because he first loved us. Man, this love for one another, this generous community is going to be imperative for us. It is imperative for us because the return of Christ is at hand. It's imminent. It could happen at any moment. And so are you loving your brothers this way? And let me challenge you, if you are, praise God, excel still more and resolve now to make sure that that continues after this is all said and done and we're back together, Lord willing, meeting as a church someday soon, we pray. But let's not leave this behind. It's a picture of a, a, a biblical community is what Peter's holding out for us. And what that's going to do is that's going to produce a stronger church. It's going to produce a healthier body of believers. It's going to be, be a, a, a Compass Bible Church, Aliso Viejo, unlike any that's ever existed before. If We will all answer this call together. Peter says this. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, Peter's on this progression here, which starts with the godliness, the sober-mindedness, the self-controlled uh, mentality of the individual believer, right? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, as individual believers, this is our task. This is what we must do. We must be sober-minded and self-controlled. But then from there, Peter goes to the community of believers. And he says, you know what? We need to be loving one another earnestly, above all. 
And we need to be showing hospitality to one another and we need to love one another, another to the point that we're gonna be willing to even cover over offenses against us. And that's that community. And now he goes from there to this third level and he says, and what then we need to do is we need to focus on making sure that our church is healthy and it's operating the way that God wants it to operate during this time. So he says, we need to serve as each has been given a gift to use. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards, those that care for somebody else's possessions of God's varied grace. The gift that you have, that God has given you, your spiritual giftedness, whatever that is, is a gift that's been entrusted to you. It's not yours per se, it's, it's yours to steward. It's yours to, to take care of. It's a grace that God has given you to use for his benefit. That's what a steward does. Somebody who uses the possessions that they've been entrusted for the benefit of another. God has given you a gift, man, to use for the benefit of him through serving the church. Verse 9 talks about hospitality, and, and that part of that is, is, is now what we're seeing here in the, the text in front of us. It's serving one another. It's using that giftedness, and all of us need to do that. 1 Corinthians 12 verses four through seven. First Corinthians 12, verses four through seven. Now, therefore, there are varieties, varied grace, varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To each, to each person, each one of you listening to this, if you are a believer in Christ, you have been given a manifestation of the Spirit, a gift, a spiritual gift, a grace of God to be used for the common good, the good of the church. And so one of the ways that we prepare for the return of Christ is we make sure that we're strengthening our church by using the giftedness that God has given us to serve one another. And we need to be about that in doing that. Paul's analogy continues in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 20. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And Paul's answering the objection that says, well, there's, yeah, people in my church are, are gifted and I get that, but I'm, I'm just not one of them. Uh, there's there's the, the preachers, there's the, the people that sing, there's the people that serve, there's the people that lead Bible studies, there's the people that are on the prayer team and hospitality and benevolence and uh, they've got it covered. I'm not really necessary. Well, Paul has something to say about that. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. Many parts yet one body. As it is, God arranged the members of the body as he chose. Okay, Paul's, yes, talking about a physical body in the metaphor here, but he's using that metaphor to talk about the body of Christ, the church. So God has put you in this church because he chose you to be in this church and he's gifted you in a way that he wants you to use to serve the common good of the church. Peter says this, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In other words, if I'm not serving in the church, I, I'm not a good steward of this grace that God has entrusted to me. I'm not using it the way that he wants me to use it. God has equipped you and placed you in this body for the good of the body. 
And men, we need to be a strong church as persecution ramps up. We need to be a strong church as we draw closer to the return of Christ. When Jesus comes back, we want him to, to be to be excited about what's going on at Compass Bible Church in Aliso Viejo. We don't want him to come back and, and shake his head as he comes back for us, his bride. We want to be busy about the work that he has called us to do, and that involves each of us playing a role in that to serve the church. Our final point together this week is this. Sow the seeds of fruitful service. Sow the seeds of fruitful service. Sow what seeds? Seeds of future reward. Men, by serving the church, you are storing up for yourself reward in heaven where neither rust, rust nor moth destroy nor thieves can break in and steal. And so, man, I, I pray that you do that. I pray that you're making that eternal investment through using the giftedness that God has given you to serve your brothers in Christ. Peter addresses two broad categories here. He says, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. In other words, if you have a, a speaking role in the church, whether that's your preaching uh, in a, a service of some sort, or you're leading a, a Bible study, or you're teaching in a wana, or you're teaching in a, a children's classroom, or you're teaching in, in a, a junior high school meeting or a high school meeting. Look, those are, are, are times when we are speaking. And Peter's saying, look, if you are speaking as a steward of God's grace, you need to understand that what you are speaking is the oracle of God. It's the message of God. We're not bringing our own wisdom. We're not bringing our intellect. We're not bringing our smarts. We're not bringing our personality, our rhetoric, our winsomeness to the, to the pulpit as the, the power. We do bring those things, but those are all servants of the message of God, which is where the power resides. And so he's reminding us that, look, if you are going to serve, if you're going to sow the seeds of fruitful service and your role in the church is that you are speaking, he wants us to remember that we are speaking the message of God and to be humble about that. But then he goes on, he says, look, if, if you're serving in the church as one who serves in the power or the strength that God supplies, this is really the catch-all. If you think of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, when the deacons were chosen to, to come alongside and serve the apostles as they were busy about the, the prayer and preaching of the word, and then he talked about serving, it's, it's that catch-all category. And so maybe that's administration in the church, or maybe that's just general leadership of something in the church. You're leading a team of servants in the church. You're leading a, uh, an outreach team. You're leading a Bible study. Maybe that's your part of the, the benevolence team or you're part of the counters that, that come in on Mondays and, and count the offering from the week. You're part of the, the ushing, ushers, ushing team. <laughs> you're part of the ushers that you're greeting people at the door and helping them find a seat and handing them a bulletin. Or you're part of our parking team or you're part of our gatekeepers or you're part of our emergency medical team that we have on, on call each weekend. Whatever it is that you're doing to serve, Peter's saying he wants you to remember to serve in the strength that God supplies. Again, it's a reminder. We need to be humble about this, right? As we sow the seeds of fruitful service, we sow the seeds of fruitful service in the strength that God provides us. The health of the church, again, is going to be crucially important during uh, the, the coming weeks, during this pandemic, certainly. But even more so as, as persecution ra ratchets up. As opposition to the church and opposition to the gospel gets louder and louder in this country, and I, I'm confident that it will. And so we're going to need our church to be strong. We're going to need every single one of us to be playing that part. We need to be serving as God has equipped us to serve in the strength that he supplies. Think about, men, this pandemic and this time in lockdown, this quarantine. 
think about how much harder it would be if we didn't have a strong church caring for us the way that Compass Bible Church has responded to this. And I'm not just talking about leadership. I'm talking about all of you, how you have been praying for one another. You've been meeting needs together. You've been meeting together, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some men. We have done such a great job. We are, as pastors and leaders, are so thankful. We are so proud of you. We boast about our church because of the way that you all have responded to this and leaned into our local community here, that you have not neglected to meet together. Praise God for that. But man, think about what our our time would be like right now if we didn't have that. Think about what it would be like if we didn't have the the spiritual nourishment that's coming out from our pulpits during this time. If we didn't have the means, the technology to be able to record these things, the tech team that we have to be able to edit these things and and to be here to control sound volumes and everything else so that when I get passionate and start yelling uh, like I do sometimes that it doesn't blow your eardrums out as you're listening to this. Think about where we would be if we didn't have what God has blessed our church with. And the only reason we have what we have is because we're doing well at this third point. And so I want to commend us. And I want to say to you, bravo, men, well done. But I also want to say to you what Paul says, excel still more. Don't let up. Don't slow up. Don't give up. Keep pressing on in this serving one another. Get engaged. See, men, if we want this to continue, we have to keep it up. It's not, it's, it's, it is rather, a lot like flossing. See, about a week before I go to the dentist, I start thinking to myself, you know what, I, I should probably be flossing. And so I floss for like a week and I go to the dentist and she's like, ah, the, the gums are bleeding. Have you been flossing? And I'm like, eh, sort of. But then after the dentist is done and I, and I go home, I'm like, okay, that's done for six months. I don't need to worry about that for another five months and three weeks and then I'll start again, right? It, it doesn't work that way, does it? We have to keep it up. Well, same way, men, if we want our church to continue to be healthy, we have to keep this up. We have to keep going. We have to keep serving. We have to keep using the gifts that God has given us in the strength that he provides to serve the body. There's an end to that, though. There's a reason for that. Paul says, in order that, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, all of this, men, all of our preparation for the return of Christ is about glorifying God. All of it is about glorifying God. Your individual life in godliness is about glorifying God through Christ. Our relationship with one another through community is about glorifying and exalting God through Christ. And our serving the church is about glorifying and exalting God through Christ. That's what it's all about. Every single ounce of our effort put forward in this as we prepare for the return of Christ, which is imminent, is all about glorifying Christ. It's like when Paul prayed in 2 Corinthians, for the the thorn to be removed from his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, God responded to him and said, "My, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Man, that's what we're talking about here. As we serve, we serve in the strength of God. Why? Because his strength is then magnified and glorified as we're able to testify and to bear witness to the the fact and the reality that it's about him. It's about Jesus. It's about God strengthening me to do what I do. Otherwise, I'm a broken vessel. I'm nothing. And so Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness because my weakness allows Christ to be magnified and exalted. Man, we need every single one of you right now. We need you to be consistent in your small group. We need to be consistent in praying for one another. We need to be consistent in doing the study. We need to be consistent in contributing what we've learned from the study to bless your brothers. We need to be consistent in caring for one another in our self-controlled mindsets and our sober-mindedness. We need to be picking up the phone and calling each other during the week to encourage a brother. 
We need to be sending that text to encourage a brother. See, men, we need each other to be doing this during this time and also every single moment that we have between now and the time that Christ either calls us home or comes back for his church. God has you here for a moment like this. And it's through this that he receives the glory. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As Christians, it's our duty to live in a way that glorifies God. It's our duty to live ready for the return of Christ, looking for his return, anticipating his return, ready for his return, praying for his return. And so, man, I, I, I pray that we can live that kind of life. The life that Peter is wanting us to live, the end of all things is at hand, he says. Therefore, we need to be sober-minded, self-controlled as individuals, focusing on what God wants us to focus on, growing in godliness and holiness. We need to be loving one another earnestly. We need to be covering sins. We need to be generous and hospitable to one another. We need to be cultivating that generous community. And we need to be serving together the bride of Christ, the local church, dependent on the strength of God to equip us to be able to, to, to use the giftedness that he's given to each and every one of us. We need to do that in, in all of that as we do that is to showcase the glory of God as we wait for Christ to return. Let's pray together. Father, we pray and ask and plead as they have for so long. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. God, it's a, an exciting thing to know that we live in a time where there is nothing left to be fulfilled between now and the return of Jesus that he could truly come back at any time, at any moment. And we as the church need to be ready. God, I pray for us at Compass Bible Church here in Elisa Viejo that you would make us that, a church ready for the return of Christ, a church prepared. The Lord is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. And we know that you alone know the timing of that, Father. And so we pray that we wouldn't grow panicked about that, that we wouldn't grow consumed with speculation and, and myth, or, or wondering, or asking, or questioning, Lord, but that we would simply be faithful to look at the times and to live in light of the times. And so, Lord, allow us to do that, and to do that well for your glory. Strengthen us as a body of, of Christ. Strengthen us as individuals who are wanting to grow in holiness and godliness. Strengthen us as a church, Lord, for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.